7, verses 11 through 15. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourself, tribe by tribe. The tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward, clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward, family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward, man by man. Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done an outrageous thing in Israel. This is God's word. You may be seated. As you can see, we have... um, uh, A very important chapter to deal with this morning. Please keep your Bibles open to Joshua 7. Also pull out that, uh, that outline that you're going to find in the, uh, the announcement sheet. We'll use that as we go through this study this morning. And because uh, we, we have some incredibly important things to talk about this morning as it regards the kingdom of, of, of God and our own relationship to each other, our relationship to God... We want to, to bow our heads and to join our hearts in humility and, and modesty before God and ask Him to bless us as we do every Sunday in this lesson. Father, thank You for the opportunity to study and for the opportunity for these words to speak to us once again in power and, and in authority. And we pray, Father, to have an authentic heart of, of, of modesty, of, of humility before You. We pray, Father, that these words uh, drop upon our hearts and that we, we soak up the meaning and the intent, Father, with, with, with all that we are. And having done so, Father, that, that You change us and that You bring us closer to You. And, Father, there's nothing more than, than this that we desire in these next few minutes than to study Your Word with eyes that see and ears that hear and, and to be revolutionized by them. So we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to take a, a poll right here at the very beginning of the message. And I want you to raise your hand if you have at any time in your life done something that you regretted. That's pretty exuberant. That's about 100%. <laughs> you know, we're all in the same boat. Earlier, uh, in the early part of last year, there was a fellow in West Palm Beach, Florida, who, uh, who died last, last year after kind of going through his day. And then in that evening, he began to feel really kind of nauseated and, and sick. And part of the, uh, the reason that, uh, that led to all of this tragedy in his life was that earlier that day, he had been involved in a live 
cockroach-eating contest, the winner gets a live python. There you go. Now, he ate dozens of them, and he won. And he won. But the story gets even worse. And, you know, my wife, as soon as I said the word cockroach, I asked her, should I tell this, this story? She said, not while I'm around. <laughs> Earlier than that, he had, he had joined another contest, the Super Earthworm Eating Contest. I, you know, you have to wonder what part of that whole venture seemed like a good idea to make somebody want to sign up. Here is a maxim. It's up on the screen. I want you to write it down on your outlines. It's self-examination can keep us from self-destruction. Self-examination can keep us from self-destruction. In the preceding chapter, Joshua chapter 6, Israel has experienced her greatest victory at Jericho. They had marched around that city. They did everything that the Lord told them to do. The walls tumbled and collapsed. On that, that last day, every man went straight into the city. The city was taken. And Israel now looks invincible. They look like the power to be reckoned with. And the words of chapter 6 end like this. Verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the entire land. But here's the thing. Appearances can be deceiving. Appearances can be deceiving. Apparently, there is a problem with Israel. And here's the thing. You know, what can look strong in one moment through the passage of time, through the passage of circumstances, through, through different kinds of things that might happen, what appears to be strong in one moment can become compromised and become weak in another moment. Think about a house. Think about a house. A house can be built with the strongest of materials. Concrete, wood, metal, glass, granite, all of the bricks, all of these kinds of, of hard substances. And that house can be built with the strongest things that we have at hand. But the integrity of that house, if it is not watched with a vigilant eye, can be compromised by even the smallest of insects like the which insect? Termite. Houses that can look impervious to anything that nature might want to throw at it can be eaten up with corruption and filled up with decay from the inside and that house in danger of falling in, of imploding, of falling in on top of itself. Now Joshua chapter 6 verse 27, the Lord is with, with, is with Joshua and his fame is spread throughout the land. Here's how the very next verse, chapter 7 verse 1 begins. But... The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. You know, one of the things that I would never say is that when you become a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, you're going to have an easy life. Listen, friends, you know as well as I do, and some of you even more so, you know this to be a, a fact more intensely than I do, that the Christian life can be a struggle. The Christian life at times is, is, is not easy. It's, it's a battle. There is, there is a struggle, there is a battle in our spiritual life because the, the fallen nature that, that we, we possess has not been completely eradicated yet by God and His Spirit and His Word. And we live in a fallen world where we struggle with temptation on a daily basis. But impurity always will make us an easy target for Satan. One of the things that we looked at the, the end of last year were the, was the... the uh, the, the, the armor of God and how we are to be spiritually strong 
as we face these temptations by the way that God equips us for it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, as a refresher, stand firm then with what? The breastplate of righteousness in place. Where there is personal impurity rather than righteousness, there is always going to be personal danger. Can you imagine? I mean, think about the, the imagery, the metaphor that Paul is using as he writes to that church in Ephesus about what it means to be spiritually strong, to be able to stand firm. He says, you've got to have your heart covered with the shield of righteousness. Can you imagine walking into battle and everything else on you is covered up with Kevlar, covered up with some kind of a shield, but this part of your body where the heart is, is open and vulnerable. In fact, it's got a target on it. Now, in the spiritual battle that we struggle with every day, when we do not have the breastplate of righteousness on, we have not made that commitment to a righteous kingdom life, that's what we're doing. We are walking into battle because there's not a commitment to, to personal spiritual purity and the, the following of God's will. We are going each day into a world where our heart has just a big target on it. And we are completely unprotected. And that's why we need to learn the lessons that Israel learned at Ai. Now here's the story. We've had the battle of Jericho. What's next? Well, Ai. And what's happening is as the people leave the lowlands around the Jordan River, they're moving up to the hill country and the mountains. Ai is next on the list. And Joshua sends out some men to Ai to spy it out like he did with Jericho. They do that. They come back and they say, you know, Ai, it's not really that big. Ai is a piece of cake. Why don't you send 2,000 men, maybe 3,000 men? Don't weary the entire army. Only about 3,000 men are needed. We can, we can take this piece of cake. And Israel, with about 3,000 men, marches against Ai, and those Amorites come out of the city. And the next thing you know, there's one of those Amorite soldiers sticking a spear right through the, the, the body, the torso of an Israelite soldier, and all Israel sees that, and what happens? They are routed. They are routed. And the Amorites chase them away, and 36 total Israelites die that day. And the Bible tells us that because of this event, because of the turnaround of, of fortunes, as they see out on this battlefield, all of Israel, their hearts fill with fear. They melt. Their, their hearts are like, are like water. And Joshua tears his clothes and he falls face down before God. All of the elders of Israel do the same thing. First appearance of the elders of Israel in, in Joshua, they do the same thing. And Joshua, while he's face down before God, says, Why have you brought this upon us? Why has this happened? Why did you let this happen? I don't know. It just seems to be a pervasive, kind of this all-encompassing, uh, uh, ubiquitous human frailty to always blame God, or anyone else for that matter, rather than to think that the problem or the trouble may be a little bit closer to home. Is it not true that we're pretty good at attacking sinners, but we're terrible when it comes to addressing personal sin, the sin that is in our own heart? Well, here God speaks. God's getting blamed. God's going to speak now. And not without a little irritation, I think. He says in verse 10, Stand up. Stand. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has 
what? Sinned. The problem is Israel. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. What's the sin? Well, you know, at first glance, at first blush, we think it's spiritual pride. We notice as they go against Ai, Israel did not pray. Israel did not call on the Lord before the battle of Ai. They have basically done the opposite of what their forefathers did in Numbers chapter 13 at Kadesh Barnea. You remember the 12 spies, 40 years, 38 years prior, had gone up into the promised land, had come back with a terrible report and said, you know, the land is great, but it's filled with giants and we're terribly small, even in our own eyes. We can't do this. We need to go back to Egypt. Now what happened there is that God was with the people, but even though God was with them, they overestimated the enemy and it was to their defeat. What's happening at Ai is God is not with them, but they've underestimated the enemy to their own destruction and defeat. When you do that, you will be defeated. But I don't think that this is really the core issue. I don't think the core issue here is, is pridefulness. Read again these verses, the beginning of chapter 7 and, and, and verse 10 again. In verse 1 he says, But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. We drop down to verse 10. God is speaking. Stand up. What are you doing on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have what? Stolen. They have what? Lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why Israelite, the, uh, the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been, listen, they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Here's the problem. The defeat was not in the strength of Ai, but in the weakness of Israel. The problem was not that God's power was somehow lacking and, and, and God's power was not up to the task. The problem was Israel's purity. The problem was Israel's righteousness. And this is one of the things that Joshua should have come up with at the very beginning. Why is it that as soon as something bad happens, Joshua falls on his face and says, Why did you do this? He should have recognized that God is faithful in all things. The problem was the carom, the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. And that sin must be and will be dealt by God. And so God tells Joshua, this is what you're going to do. In the morning, I want you to have all of the tribes assemble before you. And God chooses Judah. And then all of the clans of, of, uh, of Judah come forward and the Zerahites are chosen. And then the Zerahite clan comes forward family by family and, and the family of Zimri is chosen. And then man by man from every family that's in Zimri comes forward and Achan is chosen. And it's here that Achan is, is confronted. And it's here that Achan says, you know, uh, tells what happened at the Battle of Jericho. And the way that he tells it is that here's, Achan is in the middle of the battle. He has, he has experienced. Achan is living in the middle of miracle after miracle after miracle. And there have been the dove and there's been the manna. And he has, he has survived the desert. And they, they get to the east side of the Jordan River. And it's harvest time and it's a mile wide. 
And there's no way a million plus people are going to be able to cross it. But he sees the miracle and he crosses the Jordan River as if he's on dry ground. And then they get up to Gilgal and, Gilgal and they, they, they start marching around Jericho for six days. On the seventh day they march around and the walls fall down after there's a shout and the people are able to go straight into the city after 70-foot walls have dropped to the ground. And miracle after miracle after miracle. Achan is living in the midst of miracles, God's mighty hand, doing things among them. And while all of this is happening, especially the dust of the wall has not even settled, that miracle, and Achan says, oh, look, goody, goody, there is a scar from Babylon. And then he says, oh, look at that beautiful piece of, of gold, that, that beautiful chunk of silver. He's captivated by all of these things, even though he's in the middle of miracles. And then all of these things are uncovered in his tent, and the Bible says that they are not spread out before Israel. They are spread out before whom? The Lord. And Israel, according to the directive of God, stones the entire family. Every person in Israel participates in that. And then they burn them and pile rocks over the top of them. Now there are two piles of rocks in Israel. One in Gilgal that says, Great victory, the crossing of the Jordan at flood stage during the middle of the harvest. And now there's one in the valley of Achor that says, God's holiness will not be compromised for the sake of a victory. Lessons from that valley. Sin is more serious than we think. Sin is more serious than we think. You know, when you read the Bible and you find God leading His people into a different phase or a new era or there's something new that is happening, there are extreme things that happen. Back in Acts chapter 5, we're just three chapters uh, after the, the, the second chapter of Acts where Pentecost has taken place and the church has been established. And what happens? The church is growing and growing and growing and growing. And all of a sudden, Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Spirit. And it's revealed to Peter. And you know what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias is confronted by Peter and he drops dead for what he has done. And as the men are taking away the, the body of Ananias, Sapphira walks in. Same question. She too drops dead. Achan in Joshua 7 is a reminder that God's holiness is an important part of everything that we think about and do in this life. The point is that sin is not going to be ignored if the kingdom of God is to flourish. Now, one human flaw is for us to blame somebody else. I mean, you don't have to be married very long. You don't have to be employed very long. You don't have to go to school for very long before you realize that is a way that people try to get out from under the blame for the things that they do and know that they do. That's to blame somebody else. Who, to you know, who told you that you were naked? God asked Adam. He says, well, this woman that you gave me gave me the apple and I ate. The second human flaw is that we would rather deal with the consequences of sin rather than to deal with the sin itself. Here is a biblical truth illustrated in both the Old and the New Testament. It is better to confess than to be accused. It's better to confess. Parents, teach this to your children. 
It's always better to confess than to be accused. Our modern problem is that we are comfortable with sin. Our problem is that moral failure doesn't bother us whether it's somebody else or it's our own, especially if it's our own. And let me tell you something, church. That is at the top of the reasons why the church of the living God that has supposedly embraced the delivered and firm Word of God is so ineffective in its culture. It's because the darkness from without has come within the church. The rampant moral failure of God's people is why God is slandered. Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, you know what, you who say that you shouldn't steal, why do you steal? And those of you who say that you shouldn't kill, why do you kill? And those of you who teach others that you should not commit murder, why do you commit murder? It's because of that kind of activity, that kind of behavior. Not that that's outside the walls, but inside of the walls, that God's name is slandered among the nations. And before we start addressing the problems of our culture and blaming our culture and attacking our culture, we must begin with the body of Christ. The sin we tolerate, the sin that we've gotten comfortable with, the sin that we entertain, and, you know, we've even got sins that are noble. We would never say it that way. But you know what? We're going to jump on, on, on the sins that we don't struggle with in order to not deal with the very sin we do. Why do we jump on, 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 on pet sins, but we never jump on our own noble sins of pride, of slander, of gossip, of greed and meanness? inside of this church body. The sin we tolerate is not hidden from God, and we have to see the seriousness of sin. You know, up here on the screen is a picture that was taken uh, earlier this year, I think in January of this year. This is uh, Sven and Chantal from Sweden. They're in South Africa at a game park. And that is not photoshopped. They are actually just a few feet in front of that, that rhino. And the photographer is saying, back up, move a little closer, move a little closer. And they're saying, yes, can you get us all in the picture? This picture was snapped. This is a real picture. was snapped just moments before the rhino in the foreground impaled that young woman. Now, she didn't die. She's in ICU with a punctured lung. But the point is, why do we insist on getting so close to the very thing that is going to crush us and destroy us and devastate everything else around us? So sin is more serious than we think. And then number two, sin is judged more thoroughly than we expect. This is why we're, we're, we're close, but not all the way there, but we're close to being offended by this chapter in Joshua. The reason that we are so close to being offended is that our minds are not saturated by the holy character of God. We really don't know Him. Achan knew without a shadow of a doubt that rebellion was fatal. Going all the way back to Genesis. I mean, he, they knew the story of Genesis. What did God say to Adam? He said, in the day that you disobey, in the day that you rebel, in the day that you don't trust My Word, in that day you will die. And then he is the product of a preceding generation that had died in the wilderness because they had compromised themselves in their faith and in their purity before God at Kadesh Barnea in Numbers chapter 13. And they therefore did not enter that land of promise. We know this too, do we not? 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Let's say that again. The wages of sin is death. Death. And think about this. The sin of a few affected the many. The sin of a few affected the many. You know, I, I believe that this is true even though it is absolutely unfortunate that the church can be filled with a lot of good people, a lot of people who are dedicated who do not experience all the success that God intends for them because of the few who have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. That's why God has to say to Joshua again, verse 13, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves. And then the last thing that we'll think about this morning is that sin must be uncovered before it can be covered. You know, talking about sin is never a pleasant thing to do. But judgment is a terrible thing. Judgment is a terrible thing to face without the grace of God, without, without the forgiveness that comes because of a cross on a hill far away. Sometimes people ask me, why in the world do you preach? Do you know how ridiculous that looks sometimes? And I go, absolutely, I've been doing it for a long time. But you know what gives me hope? You know why I do it? When it doesn't seem like it's doing much good, when it seems like the world is spinning the wrong way, you know why I do it? It's a cross on a hill far away. It's a cross on a hill on which God Himself died so that we might be saved. And we're foolish, people. We are foolish. When God is willing to give the treasure of heaven up for us and we treat that sin flippantly and we're like a days ago with it and we're comfortable with it rather than vomiting because of it in our life. Now, when you're in Christ Jesus, you don't fear the judgment of God. That's been taken away because your sins have been nailed to the cross. But your sin doesn't stop being a, a, an, an important, practical part of the way that you live every day. And that cross on a hill is not just what saves you from that sin, but it's what saves you from, 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 from the, 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 the heinous nature of it being worked out in your words and actions on a daily basis. That's what God is doing. Not just saving you, but He's saving you unto Himself. And He's not just saving you, but He's radically revolutionizing your life in order to look like Christ. And that sin has to be uncovered through confession before it is covered by the blood of Jesus. You know, I, I, I don't know, but I, I you know, there's, you can't talk about everything in this chapter, but... You know what I think is happening as tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe is going by? It's God is giving Achan an opportunity to repent. Tribe after tribe after tribe. He knows that whoever is found is going to be destroyed. But he doesn't confess. He does a tribe and then clans and then families and then man. And then it's Achan and it's everybody in his family. He could have, but he didn't. The second thing is, is that, you know, you think about the million plus people 
And there's just this one instance of somebody taking the devoted things. Out of all of those people, it gets narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down and narrowed down. It's exactly what Moses said in Numbers. Your sins will find you out. It's not hidden. It's before God. Nothing is hidden from Him. And the bottom line is, you know, Jesus Himself said, you don't have to worry about those things on the outside that can kill the body. What you have to worry about are those things that, that, that force those things that can kill not just the body, but the soul itself. It's the thing inside of the church that can destroy you. Just like that guy in West Beach, West Palm Beach, Florida. We're going to have a couple of shepherds down here at the front. Are you going to be honest about your life? Are you going to be honest? And if you are, then you need to confess. You need to confess. And you need to repent. That's a beautiful thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a beautiful thing. Because what you're doing is you're, you're accepting responsibility and at the same time you're getting the help through God and His Word and His Spirit in you to, be, to make those changes and not to live that life in which you are being diminished, but you can flourish in Christ. Our shepherds are ready, ready to receive you and to pray for you or maybe you've never, never really come clean about your entire life. The fact that, that you, you have all of the, a life of secrets, all of these things are hidden inside of you. And you've never been forgiven at all by God for that. You've, ne you've never come to the cross on a hill far away to find that salvation. These shepherds are down here at the front to talk to you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come down and talk to them now as Jeff leads us in this song. Let's stand and sing together. Create in me a clean heart.